You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. It's not if it's going to be tested, it's when it's going to be tested. At some time or another, our faith goes on trial. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. The book of James is written by James, no surprise, James wrote James. Uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Of course, Jesus was the oldest in the family, but Joseph was not his father. James has Joseph as his dad, Mary as his mom, and he is, in his, the time that Jesus is ministering, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what Jesus is about. As a matter of fact, he, he thinks Jesus is off his rocker a bit when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. However, after Jesus dies and is raised again, Jesus appears to James personally. Jesus uh, also uh, went out a number of times to reach out to James. We find that when they had the upper room in the book of Acts, James was there, filled with the Holy Spirit. James became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. That was the first church in the first city that had a church. In our downtown cores, we have the first churches. This used to be called the first church of Christ scientists. Down the street, we have the first Baptist church. You have first Presbyterian. You go to cities, you always have the first churches. Well, this was the first church of the first city, and James was the first pastor of the first church in Christianity. Pretty cool. And uh, he wrote the first book in the New Testament, so it's a neat book to read. He was a Christian Jew, and he was writing to Christian Jews. A lot of them were being persecuted, and that's why he writes them to those that are scattered abroad. There was persecution, especially among the Christian Jews. Today, there's still persecution in that part of the world amongst Christian Jews. They, they receive persecution in their own land. They're often forgotten. Palestinian Christians are often forgotten. We think of others that are persecuted, but in that part of the world, there's a lot of persecution still to this day. And he's writing to them because they have trials in their life. So if you have your Bibles, go to James chapter 1, and we'll read just the first few verses there. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. James gets right to the point. It's kind of like this. Hi, my name's James. I love God. To all you guys that are having trouble, let's go. And he gets right into the message. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy is to look forward. That's really what it means. Look forward. There is something great about having a trial in your life. Most of us, when we get a trial, we don't count it all joy. We say, like Gary was saying, this sucks. Trials, we think, this sucks to be in a trial. But James would say, no, this doesn't. This is counted all joy because that trial is going to actually make an opportunity for you. So get excited about it. Trials are never there to obstruct us. Trials are always there to instruct us. We learn from the trials of life. Trials are electives, are not electives. Trials are requirement. When you sign up for school, you have certain electives. And if we went through life, we'd like to say, ah, oh, no, I choose not to have that trial. I choose not to have that trial. I choose no trials. I just want to sail through life. Unfortunately, you can't do it that way. Or fortunately, actually, we have to have trials in our life because that is what makes us stronger to achieve what's going to come ahead of us. It's important that you go back and you remember your past trials. How many here this morning have had one or two trials in your life? Could I see your hands? 
if you haven't raised your hand, you will raise your hand in the days to come because we all have trials. Now, if you've had challenges in your life and you have a challenge today in your life, one of the best things you can do is get a piece of paper, get a flip chart out and write down your past trials. Here's when I had this trial. Here's when I had this test. And it will give you faith that God was faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful in the future. And I think if you review it, you'll find out that as you go along, every trial stretches your faith just a little bit more. And it prepares you for something bigger. So Paul or James is saying here, when you get this trial, count it all joy because it's just preparing you for something bigger. You have a purpose in your life. You have a destiny in your life. And God knows that unless you're faith is tested, stretched, and tried, you cannot accomplish the greatness that's yet to come in your life. So it actually does us a favor by trying our faith to prepare us for something bigger in our life. Hmm. Trials are not for God to see how we're doing. Oh, God put me on a test to see how good I was doing. No, he knows how good you're doing. The trial's for you. It shows you how far you've come and prepares you for where you're going to go. Our next slide. It says here in James 1 verse 4, we have a lot of verses to cover because we're trying to get through the chapter. We won't read all of them. But in James 1 verse 4, it says, so let it, it is the faith, because that's what's on trial, your faith. Let it grow. Faith grows. Faith is like a muscle. If you use it, it grows. If you don't use it, atrophy sets in and it begins to shrink. Every day we have to continue to grow our faith. Let it grow. Let faith grow. For when endurance, another translation says patience, is fully developed, muscles develop. We want our children to have their muscles developed. God is a father and he wants our faith muscles to be developed. When it is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Now, if your faith is tested, which it will be, take it as a compliment, for it's just proof that you have faith. The enemy comes along and says, you don't have any faith. He lies to you about things. God comes along and says, the very fact that your faith is tested is proof that you do have faith. If it's being tested again, you say, man, I just went through a trial. I was in a trial two months ago. I'm in a trial again. What's with this? It means that you must be growing. It means that your faith must be getting stronger. Don't take it as a, as a slight against you. Take it as a compliment from God that you are advancing forward. You're not going backwards. You're advancing. Sometimes a trial feels like, oh, man, I'm taking a step backwards. A trial just means you've taken a step forward, not backwards. That's why James is saying, count it all joy. You're growing. You're getting stronger. In the midst of a trial, it just feels like everything's coming against you. But from God's perspective, he sees a different picture. He sees you growing ahead. Spiritual trials are spiritual resistance training. I'm not uh, an expert in the gym. Nathan would be an expert there. They, he, at Studio 55, they do resistance training. And uh, they... They put a certain amount of resistance. When you do weights, there's resistance. And that resistance actually makes you stronger. And as you work out, you add more resistance. And as you go through resistance training, it prepares you for the events to come. If you're an Olympic athlete, the athletes that will compete a year from now, guess what they're doing today? 
resistance training. They're in a trial today for an event that is to come. God's got an event. He has an Olympic event for you. And so today, he loves you enough to give you training, resistant training. But we try to sometimes say, I don't want any of that. It's uncomfortable. I'd rather sit on my couch and just park and not do anything spiritually. God tries to get us off the couch into resistance training because he's got an Olympic event and he wants you to win a gold medal. This is a good thing. That's why James says, count it all joy because you're getting ready for something great. People say, oh, man, what is my purpose in life? What's my destiny? How many times have we heard people say, I just want to know my purpose. What is my purpose in life? Well, I have a question for you. If you're asking that question, what is my purpose in life? My question for you would be this. Do you submit to spiritual resistive training? Oh, no, no, I don't want to go through any trials. I I want to take the easy way out. No wonder you can't find your purpose. Because you shrink back from every time your faith is tested, and you want an easy way out. To find your purpose, count it all joy and say, Lord, thank you that in this trial, my faith is growing. It's an opportunity for me to get stronger for the great things that are yet to come. Trials prepare us to live out our purpose. There's a story about a... a, farmer, he had a well, this was in the Middle East, big wells, old well, dried up well, his donkey fell into the well, and the donkey was uh, making a lot of noise, complaining, he was down in the well, couldn't get the donkey out, so he just said, you know what, the donkey's been screaming down there a long time, I don't need the well, I'll call all my neighbors, and I'll just fill it with dirt, and I solve two problems. So he gets all his neighbors, and he begins to throw dirt down the well. And he's throwing dirt down the well. The donkey's down there. The dirt lands on him, and he shakes it off. Some more dirt lands on him. He shakes it off. And he found out every time he shook off the dirt, he'd stand up a little bit taller. They kept throwing, and he kept shaking off the dirt, shaking off the dirt. And all of a sudden, to their surprise, they look down there, and here's the donkey ready to step out of the well. (laughs) The moral of the story is this. When life throws dirt on you, Shake it off and use it as a platform to step up to the next level. Don't let it bury you. Don't let that trial bury you. Shake it off. Use it as a platform to step up and get over it to something greater in your life. Patience. For when you endure patience. Patience. Patience is the farmer's word. Because he plants his seed and he patiently waits for the harvest. Patience is the fisherman's word. If you've ever gone fishing, I mean, you have to have patience. Man, you throw that out there, you pull it back in. You throw it out there, you pull it back in. You throw it out there, you pull it back in. An hour later, you catch a fish. But you, you can't rush it. You can put on different bait. You can throw your hook out different. And I used to fish a lot with my dad. I'd get impatient. Dad, I've been doing this for 10 minutes. I still haven't caught anything. That's oh, wait a minute. It takes longer than 10 minutes. Be patient, son. And sometimes we'd fish with a, what was called a schmelt. We'd throw it out in the water there. We'd have a little bobber on. And we'd get impatient. My dad said, if you run away, you're going to miss it. And that bobber's going to go into the water. And you're going to miss your fish. And he said, fishing is about patience. Farming is about patience. If you're an astronomer, it's about patience. He said, oh, there's an eclipse coming. There's a comet coming. But you can't speed the process. But it will come. Trials are about patience. It will develop patience, endurance. Another translation says brave endurance. And we need to bravely endure trials because it's producing strength inside of us. 
James 1 verse 5 says this, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. He'll gladly tell you. He will not resent you asking. What do we need most when we're in a trial? Do we need more money? Maybe. Do we need more strength? Maybe. But what's the biggest thing we need when we're in a trial in life? You could be in a trial in your life today. Maybe you lost 25% of your investment this year. Maybe you need a house to rent, or maybe you need a job, or maybe somewhere your faith is being tried. Maybe you have a relationship that's gone sideways. What do you need more than anything else in a trial? James here, Pastor James, is saying, you need wisdom. How do I get wisdom? You ask for wisdom. If you don't ask God for wisdom, you don't have his wisdom. Wisdom is not understanding. There's a difference between that. Wisdom is not information. We live in information age. You can Google something, and in 0.36 seconds, you can have 1.2 billion pages of information. But information just informs us. Wisdom transforms us. It changes our form. It, It reforms us to God's image. Wisdom is a spirit. Information, knowledge, is head knowledge. It comes more from this faculty. Wisdom is spiritual. It gives you the ideas on how to put the knowledge together. How many know when your friends are in a trial, your relatives are in a trial, it's really easy for you to figure out what to do? You know, man, you just do this, this, and this, you know, because you're from the outside. But when you're in the trial, Come on, honestly, when we're in the trial, it's like, man, what do I do? And sometimes all you need to do is just bounce it off somebody else, bounce it off God, get people to listen to you. All of a sudden, this wisdom becomes, like, ah, now I know what I need to do. You get this bird's eye perspective on the big picture, and you know what to do. Trials will always test our loyalty. Are you going to rely on your circumstances, or are you going to trust God in this situation? Faith is, the test of faith tests our loyalty to God. Am I going to trust my circumstances or am I going to trust God's word? What's 2009 going to bring you? There will be change in 2009. We are going into a winter season. Your faith may be put on trial this year more than any other year. So this message is important. James is writing to a church that's under a trial. Your faith may be tried this year. The good news is that with God's wisdom, he takes us through to the other side. He gives us wisdom when we ask for it. Ah, next verse. Let's, just a verse on wisdom as a spirit. Ephesians 1, 16 to 17 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, what? The spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom. Wisdom's a spirit. Jesus gives us his wisdom. It says that Christ has been made unto us wisdom. Isn't that good news? I don't know what to do. I'm in a trial, but I could ask God. God of heaven gives me his wisdom on how to get through this. That's good stuff. Yeah. Okay, James chapter 1, verse 10. Moving along. This is a message on how to get through trials. Obviously, we need to ask for wisdom. But James, just picking a verse out of the Message Bible, it says, prosperity is short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. 
there's a temptation in our trial, especially in our culture, to try and buy our way out of every trial. Well, I can solve it with money. James says, let the poor be thankful for their position. You know one of the reasons they can be thankful is because I can't trust money. I've got to trust God. There's actually an advantage. You don't have as many distractions. In our culture, in Canada, a wealthy country, it's easy in our trial to say, I'll just throw more money at the problem. God's got no problem with money. He's got no problem with us spending it wisely. He just says, come to me first. Don't try to solve it with your finances, your connections or whatever. Let me be involved. I want to get you through this trial. And if you let me do that, you'll have a lot more money in your pocket at the end of it. Because you won't waste it trying to do it your own way. So faith in God is more important through a trial than our money is in a trial. Money cannot buy you a pass on the faith test. Do you know the world ranks you by riches? But God doesn't rank you by riches. I think God would rather rank us by what's in our heart, by our faith. Bill Gates used to be ranked number one by Forbes, but no longer number one today. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's changed in the last hour, but last time I looked, Warren Buffett was number one. Then uh, a fellow from Mexico was number two, and and now uh, Bill Gates was number three. That list is always changing. But there's something that you can do that's even greater, and that is faith. That's what God measures. James chapter 1, verse 14. There's something happens that when you're in a trial, you know what happens in a trial? You're tempted sometimes more than when you're not in a trial. When you're in a trial, you're tempted to go back to what you used to do when you were under pressure. When I was under pressure before, somebody said, I used to do cocaine. I haven't done cocaine for years, but now under pressure, I'm tempted to go back to cocaine. That temptation comes up again. When I was in a trial before, I used to go have sex with somebody or have some type of relationship. That was my out, and now I'm tempted to go there again. When I was in a trial before, I used to get angry and get frustrated, and I'd take it out on other people. Now some of these temptations come at me again. When pressure comes on you in the trial, you're tempted to go back and do things you used to do. James knows that. So he's talking to him, hey, when you're under trial, understand that within that trial, there's going to be some temptations. We shouldn't be surprised about this. Jesus in the desert was there for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. He was in a trial under pressure, and Satan came to tempt him. So when we're in a trial, James is warning us, you may get some temptation. And he's giving us a heads up. Hey, heads up, guys. If you're in a trial, you're going to get tempted. But stay the course. Don't give in to that. Don't default to an old system. Hang in there and trust God. He's bringing you through. Trials threaten Satan. You know why? Because he sees you're winning. He sees you're in class. He sees you're getting stronger. You're enrolled in God's school. You know what God's school is called? Desert University. Everybody's got to graduate from it. DU, I call it DU. You may not have a PhD or a doctorate or a master's degree in any other school, but hey, if you get a degree at a desert university, don't worry about the other stuff. You can do whatever God's called you to do. Don't drop out of that class. Stay in DU, Desert University. Paul went there. Elijah went there. Every great man and woman of God's gone to Desert University. And he sees you enrolled in Desert University. It threatens him. Why? He sees you're winning. 
And when he sees you're winning, he wants you to compromise. He wants you to sell out. He does not want you to graduate. In that winning moment, he'll come along. He'll try to get you to sell out for something less. In the movie, Hidalgo, it's a story about an American who rode his horse, delivering mail and whatnot. He was known as the best horseman in the U.S. He got invited to the Middle East to compete, to race with the thoroughbreds over there, and he took his horse to the Middle East, and he was riding this Mustang pony. He wasn't supposed to win, but he begins to win, and in that winning, he begins to threaten them. And in that moment of just an ordeal to win this race, I mean, we we run this race of faith. Then he's tempted to sell out, to compromise. Here's a little clip from when he's tempted in the middle of his race to compromise. Good night, (laughs) ma'am.
<laughs> That's what you need to say. It's, Good night, ma'am. I'm going to finish this race. I'm not compromising my test, my trial, my running to sell out for that. Testing. God tests us to bring out the best. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst. There's a difference between a trial and a temptation. Tests lead to freedom. Temptation leads to slavery. Tests strengthen your weaknesses. Temptation exploits them. A testing or difficulty requires the sacrifice of our desires, where temptation usually is something we want to do with our desires. Two very different things, temptation versus trials. James chapter 1, verse 21, moving on down the chapter, James tells us here to humbly accept the message God has planted in your hearts for it is strong enough to save your souls. In order to get through the trial, one thing we must do is accept, and the translation says embrace God's message or his word because his message or his word is a seed that gets implanted in your heart. Now listen very carefully. Your victory over your trial is directly related to the words that you plant in the soil of your heart because your heart will grow whatever seed you put inside of it. And in that time of trial, if you put seeds of doubt and negativity, compromise into your heart, you will not pass that test. But if, like James is encouraging us here, is if you embrace his word and hide it in your heart, it is able to save your soul. He says this word is like a mirror. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. When you look into God's word, what will you see? You will see yourself. You will see God's reflection of what he thinks you are. Will he point, if I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, and say, oh, you know, I got to do something with this, I better shave, you know, and, and uh, I got a hair out of place, better put in place. And, and so when you look in the mirror, you see certain things you got to do with yourself to improve yourself. But you also see all the great features. I want to emphasize more of the great features. When I look into God's word, I see in my trial that I'm more than a conqueror. I see in his word that if God be for me, who can be against me? As I see, as I look in this word, I remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, James says, when you go away from looking in the mirror, don't forget who you are. Then you're going to have victory in your trial. God's word is his love letter to us. And we need to read it that way. There's a man who once said, the people who really read ought to read like they read a love letter. Because when you read a love letter, you read every line. You read all the punctuation. You read it backwards, you read it forwards. You read between the lines. You go back over and over again. I found in my, in my desk, this is a letter from August 23rd, 1977. This is from Cheryl. She didn't know I was going to pull this out last night, but I found it and pulled it out. I'll just read you a few lines. I can't read you all the lines. I just can read you a few. We were dating at this time. But when I would get these letters, this was before email, before texting, all the rest of it. And so I would get about two or three of these a week. I got up early to work. I had to leave work for about four in the morning, came home late, did chores for dad. And then at night, I'd pull out these letters and I'd read these letters. My first question when I got home was, dad, was there any mail for me? And uh, he'd give me these letters from Regina. And I go, ah, man. Dearest Dave, dearest Dave, (laughs) Dave the dearest. Oh, I'd read it backwards and forwards. (laughs) Dearest Dave. Thanks. It's underlined. Thanks is underlined. It's capitalized. Thanks for the letter. Oh, yes. I needed it. Exclamation mark. 
Only 11 more days. It seems too good to be true. Exclamation mark. 11 more days. I'm going to see my sweetheart. Yes. I was looking back in my yearbook today and I realized how much our relationship has grown since April. Gets a little mushy there. Um, (laughs) A lot of this is mushy. Uh, Isn't love unusually and uniquely beautiful? I was thinking about it today and it's so neat. The way God gives us the ability to love someone more than themselves and how it can grow like ours, even though we haven't seen each other for several weeks. It was so good to read this. This was a love letter. God's word is his love letter to you. The way I read this is the way God wants you to read this. Because God loves you. It's his love that will take you through any difficulty you have in your life. So James is telling us to get through that draw. <coughs> We must embrace his love letter to us. One last point, James one twenty seven. James tells us here, pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our Father means that we must care. Would you say that with me? We must care for orphans, widows, in their trouble, and refuse to let the world corrupt us. James has given us a lot of nuggets here on how to get through trials. But one last nugget for this chapter is we must care. In order to get through your trial, care for other people that are hurting more than you are. It's one of the keys to get through for your trials because it's not just about you. It's about caring and helping other people. He mentions orphans. He mentions, mentions widows. Don't let yourself be corrupted by the world. He said, this is lasting religion. There was a man who came to church, and he was a very wealthy man. The next day, he saw the preacher, and he said, Preacher, you preached on heaven yesterday. It was a wonderful message but you didn't tell me where heaven is. Nice message, but you didn't tell me what heaven was like, and you didn't tell me where heaven is. And the pastor said, well, I'm glad you asked. I have an opportunity today to show you where heaven is. I'll have an opportunity today to tell you what heaven is like. He said, oh, good, I want to know. He said, well, I've just come from visiting one of the members of the church. They live in low-cost housing. She's a widow. She has two children. She's sick in one bed, and her two kids are sick in the other bed. She's run out of groceries. The landlord is knocking on the door demanding the rent. And so here's what you need to do. Why don't you go down to the store and you buy her her groceries. You come to her door and you knock on the door. When she answers, you just say, sister, I'm here and I want to present you some groceries in the name of the Lord. Then you go into her house and you read her Psalm 23. Then you get on your knees and you pray for those children. You pray for her. And then if you don't experience heaven, let me know and I'll pay for the groceries. The next day he ran into that same wealthy man. He said, I have experienced heaven I stayed an extra 15 minutes because I was experiencing heaven. Sometimes we miss the kingdom of heaven because we're focusing too much on our own trials and not on other people around us. This morning, we want to focus on that, on, on outside, not just ourselves, to get through our trials. One last thought before we close. In our trials of life, it's very important that Jesus is in control of our lives. In February 24th, 1989, there was a flight from Honolulu to New Zealand. It was United Airlines Flight 811. They climbed to 22,000 feet, and at 22,000 feet, there was an implosion in the plane. Apparently, the door, cargo door, had not been closed properly. The cargo door got ripped off the plane. There was a hole 11 feet by 22 feet, and it got sucked off the plane. Nine people in first class with their seatbelts on got sucked out of that hole as well. 
and fell to their death. 345 other passengers were buckled in as tornado-type winds ripped through that cabin. The captain was going to retire in March. He'd been flying planes for 38 years. One of the wing flaps was broken. Two engines were now gone, and he had a big hole there. He circled that plane around, and he safely landed that plane on two-thirds of the runway. It was an outstanding example of aircraft navigation similar to the one of the plane that landed in New York just a few weeks ago. And they praised him for his ability to navigate that plane through an incredible hard time. And likewise in our life, we need a captain to navigate our lives through the hard times. I wouldn't want to fly that plane. I'd want that captain to fly that plane. And in my life, I want to allow Jesus Christ to be the captain of my life, to navigate me to the storms of life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.